Hey guys, what's going on? It's Derek. We're back on the podcast and today we have another guest. Today we are sitting down with James Hobart. Now James is a CrossFit certified level four coach, long-term member of CrossFit seminar staff and part owner in several fitness entities such as CrossFit One Nation, the Hand Plan, and the Coaches Development Program. Now, I was fortunate enough to meet James back in 2013 as an intern at Reebok CrossFit One in Boston, Massachusetts. And since that time, I've been blessed to have James involved in my career as a coach. He was the flow master at my level two seminar. I was able to intern under him for CrossFit seminar staff. And since that point, I have followed along with his content, followed along with his journey, and taken as much of his knowledge and experiences to heart as possible to make sure that I continue improving each and every day. So I'm extremely excited to share James's experiences and his knowledge with all of you. We talk about all kinds of things in this podcast from his background, how he discovered CrossFit, to his current businesses today, and most importantly, the opportunities and outcomes of the current situation that we're in now and how those can impact our lives and the fitness industry at large. So without further ado, let's get into the podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back to Ballistic Performance Radio. This is episode number 23, and we are here with James Hobart. Now, James is first and foremost a husband, but he is also a certified CrossFit Level 4 coach, longtime member of CrossFit Seminar staff, and part owner of several fitness entities and and an affiliate, CrossFit One Nation, as well as the Hand Plan and the Coaches Development Program. James is also an eight-year CrossFit veteran, three as an individual, and five as a team, and we are extremely excited to sit down with him today and to just talk and catch up and get some of his insight into what is currently going on in the fitness world. So James, welcome to the show, and go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Uh, Derek, thanks for having me here. Uh, it's good to catch up with you and it's, uh, it's awesome to be here chatting with you. Um, I think you just about covered it, but, um, I was, uh, I mean, long story short is I was a liberal arts double major in English and philosophy turned, uh, fitness enthusiast. And, um, when I graduated from college, I was working out and doing CrossFit, just following the program online. Um, just for myself and my own fitness and really had no idea at that time. And this was back in 2007, 2008, that it would turn into what it has turned into now, both as, you know, a business and uh, a career opportunity for me. But it was one of those things where, you know, as I've told this story, it just kind of, um, kind of like Novocaine, just like slowly crept its way into my life (laughs) and become, became a much bigger part of my life. And thankfully, when I had moved down to Boston in this was around 2009. And then when I finished school, when I was in Boston, I finished law school in 2011, I was fortunate enough to be able to take a bigger step and get more and more involved with CrossFit and CrossFit HQ's training department and coaching part-time at, you know, multiple gyms in the area, CrossFit Boston, CrossFit One Nation or CrossFit uh, New England. And that was allowed me to kind of have my hands in multiple pots 
and um, allowed me to kind of turn fitness and coaching fitness and doing fitness into a career much more than I ever expected. And, you know, that's the long story short of how we got to kind of where we are now. And the rest, as they say, is kind of just details. But um, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a slow burn at first. And it's always interesting to me because I never had any desire when I was in college um, to really become, you know, create a career in fitness. It was, it was, that was absolutely never the plan until it became the plan. So I always think that's kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, absolutely. And that was going to be one of the first questions I asked you was, you know, what were you pursuing throughout your undergraduate? And then obviously you went to law school. And I I do think it's really, excuse me, unique and interesting that that wasn't on the agenda and that wasn't something you had intended. Now, that being said, were you were you into fitness? Were you into be physically active? Were you an athlete in high school or maybe even, you know, some, some intramural form of that in college? You know, what was your athletic background? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've always really liked being active. I've loved sports my whole life. I love being outside, you know, forever in, in high school, I played soccer, lacrosse and I skied, um, and then I, you know, recreationally, I got more and more into mountain biking and cross country and downhill mountain biking. And that was since high school all the way up into college. In college, I played some intramural soccer, but, um, you know, I wasn't a fantastic athlete. I really never had any desire to be in the gym. And it wasn't until my senior year of high school that a couple of my football, my buddies who were playing football, um, they, had, they were getting some personal training from a a former high school alum who had a personal training studio and he was kind of just offering up some of his wisdom and his, he had a really nice little personal training studio. And so I would go because I would go hang out with them and I'd go work out with them. And, um, and I was still am, but I was fairly much, much weaker then than I am now. And it was, so it was fun to kind of strength train and, and, you know, the, the PT who was offering up his space, it was jacked. So when, like, you're a young dude, it's like, you know, it's aspirational. And you see, like, oh, I want to be like that guy. And um, he was pretty tuned into to functional movement. Like, he had us squatting and deadlifting and doing some Olympic lifts with dumbbells um, and doing, like, a lot of agility and plyometric stuff, which was really cool. So it wasn't all just, like, machines and isolation movement. And I kind of enjoyed that. And I really, what I really liked about it was just, it was another excuse and opportunity to hang out with my friends and, you know, we create the whole routine around it, right? You, you go to the, you drink a soda, you get all jacked up, you go work out for an hour. And then there was a subway down the street. So then we'd go like a triple meat subway sandwich. Cause you got to get your protein in to get jacked. But it was like a, it was like a whole little event. And that was way back in, you know, I was before undergrad. So <laughs> it was back in 2004, 2005. But I, it's still even then, I didn't really like being in the gym. And, um, you know, when I went to college, finally, I wasn't really playing. I was playing a little bit of intramural soccer. And I, I missed the competitive aspect of sports. And I think one of the things that I had picked up um, from a friend of mine who actually had done some personal training with me, his name was Mike Bazilian, and he went on to own CrossFit Great Barrington, which is the gym my mom now goes to and she coaches at, which is pretty cool. That is awesome. Yeah, like full circle. Um, But anyway, Mike Bazillion, you know, he kind of originally we started working out together. We were really into kettlebells. That's what if you remember, like, you know, Pavel Suzzolini did the power to the people and Mm -hmm. he did like this book, The Naked Warrior and had all this kettlebell training. We were really into that. And then through that, 
Mike stumbled on um, Jim Jones, which was run by Mark Twight, who had done some CrossFit and worked with Greg Glassman. And so through that, Mike Bazillion, uh, who I had trained with, he, uh, he was like, hey, I found this CrossFit thing. You got to try it out. And that's kind of how I stumbled on it. And what I liked about CrossFit at first um, was there was a competitive aspect to it. And I really liked the variety of it. And I liked that it's in, in a lot of ways encouraged to be outside when you were working out. Like you didn't have to be in a gym mm-hmm. to be working out. Like your dumbbells could be outside and your kettlebell could be outside and you were running outside a lot. So I, I really appreciated that about it. And I liked the competitive aspect. And that kind of allowed me like dip my toe into, into, you know, in the gym, you know, fitness. And cause I was never really big on that. Like I would always prefer to like, I love gravity propelled sports. You know, I don't know why I like CrossFit so much now cause it's so hard. I like sports that are easy. You know, you ski down the hill, you ride the bike down the hill or like a boat pulls you along on a wakeboard. You know, I like that kind of stuff. Not to say that that's not easy sports. Those are, you know, really hard, but um, anyway, so yeah, that's what got me more and more into CrossFit and um, yeah, the competitive aspect of it and the community aspect. I've always liked the, the shared suffering is a big value of mine. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's funny that you just mentioned that there. The sports are definitely difficult, but there I was going to chime in and say there's not as much suffering involved, what makes it a little bit more enjoyable, you know, especially yeah. when you're by yourself and you have no one to commiserate with. Yeah. And uh, it's funny you brought up like Pavel and all the kettlebell work. Um, a mentor of mine who you know, John Main, yeah. he, when I first started coaching back at Reebok, when I actually first met you, mm-hmm. he had sent me this, like a zip drive of all of that stuff. I mean, Pavel was on there, um, trying to think of some of the older articles, but just archives of guys who were doing the functional fitness before it became mainstream and really had a an early grasp on why they sing for beneficial and how they could translate over into greater fitness and greater quality of life. So it's pretty cool that, that we both had that initial starting point. Yeah. It, I mean, it was really funny and I really liked a lot of that early, that stuff that came out, you know, that Pavel was putting out there and, and, and it's, you know, I think fitness is better, best treated kind of like a buffet, you know, you know, and you know, some people in the fitness world, it's like, if you do this thing, you're not allowed to do another thing. But yeah, it's like there's so much good out there and interesting information out there that people have been doing for such a long time. Um, yeah, and through through that kettlebell world, you know, I got tapped into like Olympic lifting and powerlifting and CrossFit. And so it was just, it was so interesting because, you know, I liked all of those little pieces. Like I was never driven to any single one thing. And I think that's what I liked about CrossFit is I got to do a little bit of everything. Yeah, Absolutely. And now when, when you first got into CrossFit and broke into that world at that point, early, what did we say? Early 2007 or eight? Uh, I mean, yeah, I was probably around 2006, 2007 was when I like stumbled on, you know, found it through my buddy, Mike. And then 2007 is probably when I really started to do it. And we took my level one out where, you know, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, um, where you are. And, uh, that was 2008, I believe. Yeah. Okay. And what was your first workout when you got into CrossFit? Do you remember? That's a really good question. I think it was Helen, but I don't 100% remember. I remember doing Grace early on, but I didn't do the shoulder to overhead because I didn't know how. And I was too weak <laughs> to get the bar over my head, but I did a lot of starfish cleans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I can't, I can't remember what my first, my first workout it was. I, just, I do remember I was um, 
Have you seen the movie, the new movie out, Ford versus Ferrari? Yes, I actually did watch that. It was awesome. Yeah, so it's that really cool story about, you know, Ford in the 60s trying to branch out and recapture their market, and they break into the, the um, long-distance uh, Le Mans racing scene, and it's the development of the Ford GT40. And I'm a big – I like that car a lot. It's one of my favorite cars, and when they brought it back, Anyway, in 2006, as a sports car, I thought it was super cool. But anyway, what was funny is we were watching that movie the other night, and it's the names you hear in the movie of like McLaren and you know Enzo Ferrari, and just all of these really famous you know car people, and they all kind of know each other in the movie, which I thought was so interesting. And at that time, the sport was such a small community. Mm-hmm. And when I've watched older films or documentaries about the NFL, it was the same way. Like they're out there, no helmets, just bashing into each other in the mud. And I feel like looking back on it, that's like when I got into CrossFit was like at that point, you know, that point of the sport. And it was just like when I first started, it was like you just knew if you were doing CrossFit, the community was so small, you knew everybody who was doing it. And um, it's just so amazing to see the, see the growth of it now. And that was just something I thought about when I saw that movie. And as far as just like you said, you know, in 2007 getting into it, I don't quite remember my first workout. But I do remember I was traveling abroad and I was training in the, um, not a Le Mans, a Les Mills gym. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was funny because the first workout I, this is like one of the first times I really got it, the CrossFit thing. And I did Helen in that gym and, and I like, I did the, I changed some of the movements a little bit, but I, the goal was to do three rounds, you know, the 21 kettlebell swings, 12 pull-ups, 400 meter run. And, you know, I never understood the four time aspect of CrossFit. And I thought four time just meant that you were just supposed to record your time, however long it took you. Because I remember when I first started CrossFit, distinctly, I couldn't get over the fact of how easy I thought it was because I would do Helen and it would take me 20 minutes because that was the world I came from was you do your 400 meter run and you'd go rest and have a water and a, and a, and a snack bar. And then you do your 21 kettlebell swings and you'd rest and you go talk to some people and then you do your 12 pull-ups. So it's like, I remember distinctly writing down like 21 minutes for my Helen time. <laughs> and then I, you know, and it was soon after that, I kind of realized like, oh, it's not, you're supposed to write down your time. You're supposed to do it as fast as possible. And I think that's like when things really changed for me um, as far as understanding what cross it was. But it's just so funny because, you know, I had to come to that on my own, you know, the information out there, like there was information out there, but it wasn't like I had a gym full of people or a coach to tell me like, hey man, you got to run those 400s a little faster. You know, you got to go right to the pull-ups. So I think that was like one of the funny things about the me getting into CrossFit early on and, and understanding those, you know, first workouts. And I think the first affiliate I worked out in other than my level one at HyperFit was CrossFit Boston down in, uh, down in Boston. And they were in Roxbury crossing at the time. It was an old dog kennel that they had uh, refurbished and were, you know, were, had their gym in which was really cool but yeah that's kind of how i stumbled stumbled onto like what is it supposed to feel like but i don't remember my exact first workout gotcha and is that what kept you coming back in those early days was what you had described earlier that sense of uh you know almost exclusivity you know there was such a limited amount of people doing it at the time and as you said everyone started to get to know one another everyone was checking the main site and really was like this organic very exclusive community is that whole feeling what kept you coming day in and day out or was it more of 
finding that competitive aspect within it of doing the workouts for time and trying to push yourself to be better each and every day. Yeah. I mean, it definitely was the community piece. I mean, there was so much that like got me, got me excited about it early on. And I think part of that was, you know, you felt like you were doing something new and special and exclusive. And like you had said, it's like, there's treasure troves of people who have been doing functional fitness in their basements and their garage gyms for years and years and years. It was just the way that CrossFit packaged it and presented it. And, you know, definitely some unique elements that Greg Glassman tons of unique elements that he brought to it. But yeah, you felt like you were doing some kind of like counterculture and exclusive. Um, and what I really also liked about it is it made like, you know, it kind of just folded fitness into your day in a really nice way. It was like, you could kind of just do some fitness anywhere. Like you just, all right, well I wake up and I put on my clothes and I'm going to go run 400 meters and do burpees until I puke. And you know, I, the accessibility of it was something I really appreciated. And I also, I just really enjoyed, you know, the physical, um, suffering aspect of it. I just enjoyed so much experiencing that with other people, you know, kind of that tribe mentality. And I think that's one of the things that really got me into it. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think for most folks, especially people who started back when you did it in such an early time within the, the lifespan of, of the sport and the methodology, I think that's definitely pretty consistent across the board of, you know, having that, that camaraderie and that community and having that exclusivity. And even when I started in 2012, that was still, it still seemed relatively apparent. Yeah. The sport had grown tremendously since then or up to that point, but even back then, not everyone knew what it was. Not everyone had seen it. No one is, you know, scrolling past it on their Facebook or Instagram feed. So I can relate there in terms of feeling like it was a bit of that counterculture. And so, you know, obviously you fell in love with doing CrossFit and, and being a part of that community. And then when you started coaching, I think you said you got your level one in 2008 or around that time, you know, where did you first start coaching at? Did you have any mentors in that early process? And, you know, what, what really motivated you on the coaching side of things to keep getting better every single day? Well, so I don't remember my first workout, but um, like I had told you, you know, my friend Mike Bazilian is who really introduced me to CrossFit and he owned, went, went on to open CrossFit Great Barrington. I don't remember the first CrossFit workout I did, but I remember the first CrossFit workout that I taught to other people. And um, he, Mike was nice enough to kind of let me start helping him with some PT training and training people one-on-one. And when he started a CrossFit class, he used to have a CrossFit class Friday nights at his gym. And there was a couple that I met, Matt and Donna Dyson, and they would come in Friday night date night. They were really into fitness, mountain biking, all this. They were just, they were amazing. If I could have had uh, older brothers and older sisters, you know, an older sister would have been those two. They were incredible. But um, they, and they would go on to open their own affiliate years later in New Zealand. But anyway, long story short, the first workout I ever coached in CrossFit was those two, Matt and Donna Dyson through the filthy 50. <laughs> um <clears throat> So that was my first coaching experience. And um, I forgot the question. You wanted me to talk about, sorry. No, yeah, you're <laughs> This you're was good. going somewhere. Uh, um, you know, during that time with that first, that first workout that you coached, was there anything leading up to that? Did uh, you have to make any, did you have to observe other coaches, observe Mike, yeah. or did you just hop right into that thing, fueled by, uh, forged by fire kind of thing? Mm. Yeah. So, okay. Now this is great. Um, so I had, I had watched Mike and kind of shadowed him and, and worked with him a little bit. And, um, 
you know, learned a lot from him while doing that. And then he, he let me, he let me coach that class. And um, I think when I coached that class, I didn't have my level one yet, but I'm not quite, I'd have to go back and like fact check that, but it was really early on. And then um, the, the other, the first affiliate that I coached at, cause I think at the time that when I, you know, Mike was doing that one CrossFit class a week on Friday nights, I don't think he was an affiliate yet. We were just kind of bootlegging it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the first affiliate I really coached in was CrossFit Boston. And, you know, that was when I moved down to Boston for law school. And this was probably 2000, you know, late mid 2008 to late 2008. And Neil Thompson, uh, who has, you know, he, who opened CrossFit Boston in 2005, um, you know, he was the head coach and owner there at CrossFit Boston. I remember meeting him and the first class I coached there was Nancy. And that was trial by fire, you know, cause that was like a class of 17 people. These people had been doing CrossFit for a while. And I was just some young baby face punk kid who is going to come in here and tell everybody how to overhead squat. And then as everyone who's ever been a new coach before in a group class and you're teaching people who have, you know, attitudes and egos and their own goals, how to overhead squat, you realize real quick that you're about as out of control as you've ever been in your life. Um, but anyway, that was like a trial by fire. And that was a very distinct experience coaching Nancy. So five rounds, 400 meter run 15 overhead squats. I'll never forget that. And luckily you know, being in CrossFit Boston, like I said, it was like, I got involved in CrossFit at this time where it was like, you know, just growing. So like a lot of people who would go on and do some pretty influential things in CrossFit, the business and sport were very closely connected. So when I was at CrossFit Boston in 2008, you know, I met people like Neil Thompson who had worked on the CrossFit seminar staff. I met people like John Gilson who worked on CrossFit seminar staff. I met someone like Eva Claire Sinkowski, who was working on CrossFit seminar staff and would do so for a very long time and have huge impact there. So I was receiving a lot of, you know, I met Ben Bergeron there and that, that time, I don't think he was married to Heather, but I met those two. Um, you know, I met a lot of people who would go on to like open big affiliates and who are now 10 year affiliate owners. So I received a lot of fantastic mentorship, advice, experience, coaching, um, and I've always said if I had a superpower, it's that I'm just always able to, you know, I ride coattails well, or uh, I'm just always able to be in the right place at the right time, or at least be smart enough and humble enough to listen to other people when I'm in that place. And so I just received a lot of excellent just mentorship there and uh, coaching there. And, you know, I don't think I'd be anywhere now without that experience. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. And, uh, you know, it's funny, again, I can really relate to that entire story that you just told and that entire experience and that it was very similar for me when I started back as an intern, which is when you and I had first met back in 2013 at Reebok CrossFit One. And it was the same way I came in. I didn't really have a lick of coaching experience and I was able to be surrounded by incredible world-class coaches like yourself and Denise Thomas and Austin Maliolo and at the time, John Main and Megan Burns and who I think everyone I just named on that list was on seminar staff at one point yeah. or another. And yeah. it, and I think Matt Delavalle was there as well. And it just was, you know, it was kind of sitting there in awe of thinking, holy cow, I've like, I've hit the jackpot of mentorship. Like I'm going to just suck in and absorb every bit of information that these people can give me. 
And just like you had said, that really was the catalyst to everything else that followed in, in my coaching career. And so I'm the same way. I don't think I'd be anything close to what I was, what I am now and what I'm aspiring to be if it hadn't been for that initial experience. Yeah. I mean, the, what was, you know, I agree with you hundred percent what was happening down at Reebok, like you said, at that time was really cool. I mean, there was a collection of like five or six seminar staff coaches in one spot. And, and we had all learned from people who, who had originally started doing seminars with Greg Glassman. So it was like, yeah, it's just a lot of, it was, you know, it's a lot of being aware enough to know when you're kind of in this spot where you have an opportunity to soak up knowledge and soak up experience from people that, that could be useful to you. If you have a goal that's in line with theirs and, and I'm, I'm very grateful for having those experiences and, you know, being in places where people wanted to come and learn from us or that having people I could learn from. Yeah. I, you know, I forget, I forget about like, yeah, re, what Reebok was like with all those coaches there and all the coaches like yourself coming through the door who, who, you know, added to the experience and were learning from the experience as well. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. But it was definitely something special and I think still continues to be, it's just, obviously that was a different time, you know, different location, different, mm -hmm. uh, environment, but, uh, yeah, it was fantastic. And, you know, now going back to your experience, you had that great start. And then since then you've gone on to do incredible things within the world of CrossFit and just the fitness industry in general. And, you know, for you, what really is the, the motivating factor? What's your quote unquote, why as to, you know, why you keep putting in the effort day in and day out, striving to be better, striving to connect with more people and help more people and all those things that are associated with this role as a coach? I mean, fundamentally, if I had to boil it way down, you know, I think about this a lot because, you know, there are times in my life where I've been fairly unmotivated. So I think about the why question quite often. Um, and for me, one of the big things is I really, I really, you know, aside from, you know, like I said, I, I really appreciate the process of like going on an adventure with your friends or other close, you know, um, comrades. And what I mean by that is, is like just sharing a, an experience that is a little bit abnormal, a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit special, a little bit unique. Like I really like doing that. And like I said, I think that's one of the things that kept me doing CrossFit because there's something abnormal, unique, uncomfortable about the experience of doing a workout like that consistently. Um, so I've always really enjoyed that. But I also think, you know, for me, I really like teaching. I really like teaching. I like working with athletes. I like what I learn from them as a teacher. I like watching the light bulb go off in their head. And I think, you know, at some point, you know, I don't want fitness teaching to be my only stake in the ground, you know, when I, when I leave earth, but I'm grateful that it has been so far. And also I think what helps me transmit that in my, my, one of my whys is that I do believe that, you know, daily practice of physical fitness can improve your life. It's not the only way to improve your life. It's not the only area that if you want to live a fulfilled life and a full life and a healthy life that you need to improve. But man, I think it is definitely going to do a lot of good for you. So I think those two things, like I love teaching. That's a huge why. And I believe that teaching process is the most rewarding process we can have as, um, you know, as far as for me as a job, whatever the subject matter would be. And then on top of that, I really do believe that um, you can improve your life and the lives of others through physical fitness. And so far, you know, that's what I've spent the last, I believe, last 12 years of my life doing. So I'd say that's like a fundamental why for me as far as what's kept me involved with it this long. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And I, it's interesting. I had, uh, I had John Maine on the show. He was our first guest. So oh, cool. I had him on several weeks ago, uh, back when we were living in Florida and John and I are very close. You know, we've gone through a, a lot of experiences together. He was kind enough to take me under his wing and quote unquote, show me the ropes. And he said something very similar. We taught, we were talking about coaching and our, our passion behind it. And, um, it's also my passion and that's the teaching side of things. I think mm -hmm. it's really easy and honorable to say that you want to help people and you want to improve their quality of life. And those are all things that are associated with our, our roles as coaches. But I think there's something to be said as well about actually enjoying and being passionate about the, the craft of coaching, or if you want to use the word teaching and what that can provide you in terms of fulfillment and what that can then do for folks who are the beneficiaries of the instruction that you're giving them. Yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent. And I don't like to like get too mystical about stuff, but I also, you know, it's like I, whatever the subject matter is, I really feel like at this point, the more effective teacher you become um, there's a lot of self-learning and self personal development that goes along with that, that just makes you generally a better person. You know, like if you're a really fantastic teacher and educator or coach, I think you're also probably a pretty decent human being, whatever that means. And um, I feel like I'm a better person because of what I've tried to practice over the last, you know, decade or so. Um, so I yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. I think there's just the, right, there's these characteristics and attributes that are necessary to pursue excellence within any field or within any profession mm -hmm. uh, or passion that probably do make you, as you said, a better human because you understand all the intricacies that are associated with it. So I, I completely agree with you there. Now, uh, fast forwarding a bit, so you were on seminar staff, you were coaching um, and doing that whole thing for X amount of time. What kind of walk us through the evolution of coaching CrossFit, working for seminar staff, and then moving into owning the affiliate, the hand plan, the coaches development program, all of these things that you're involved with today. Yeah. So that's a big gap. Um, but yeah. Um, <laughs> So I started on seminar, CrossFit seminar staff in, in Halloween of 2010. I had done my internship the August prior to that, but I started my, my first seminar Halloween 2010. And um, so through that, I mean, you know, one of the other things I really love is I just, I love, you know, I'm, I'm obsessed with knowledge and I, I just, I wish I had a superpower where it's like, you know, kind of like the matrix where I could just download all of your knowledge and life experiences, you know? Um, but that also might take the joy out of it. I like learning from other people what their experience has been. And, you know, through that, you have a perfect job if you're on seminar staff because you're traveling constantly. You know, you're united to others with a common thread of CrossFit. But everyone, you know, even if they're doing CrossFit, coming into a level one, everyone who comes in those doors have such diverse backgrounds and life experiences. You know, I've met everyone from CEOs of multi-million dollar com companies to people who are you know, finishing their 12th step in a recovery program and everybody in between, you know, young and old, 18 to 65 and older. So it's like you have this really cool opportunity to meet people. And through that, um, 
you know, if you dig in a little bit, you create some really cool friendships and connections. And that has really led to some wonderful opportunities, you know, for me, as far as developing businesses and turning this into a career, you know, through CrossFit, you know, on the competition side, you know, I became really close friends with, you know, Austin Maliolo and, uh, you know, who originally was not from Massachusetts. He was from New York and Spencer Hendel, um, who came up here from, from Charlotte and, you know, at first it was like our collaboration was competing to together and driving each other to be physically better. And Spencer and Austin started an online programming platform for really what was competitors, um, probably five or six years ago, the ham plan. Um, and then I recently joined on with them just about a year and a half, two year, year and a half ago. And now we're offering online programming to not just competitive athletes, but people working out at home. You know, that's been a huge push lately, you know, limited equipment to affiliates, writing class plans and just, you know, how to run your business guides and providing resources for them and demo videos. And, you know, we've, we've added on an, another partner in that business, uh, Travis Herbenick. He um, has done a, you know, a lot in terms of helping us, polish and revamp how we present ourselves to the world and he has some really cool design skills and inter, you know technological skills so it's you know that was one of those things that just it's it was a slow ball to get rolling you know that's been 10 years in the making but you know it all, all started out of just because austin and spencer and i got along when we would compete together and train together um and that's it was sort of the the nexus for the ham plan and where that's at now and similarly, Austin and I also, and another partner of ours, uh, Juan Carlos Del Rio, um, the three of us own CrossFit Boston, which is really cool. And, and they own two other gyms, CrossFit One Nation gyms. And what's really cool about that is CrossFit Boston was the first affiliate that I coached at. And, you know, 10 years later, I was able to um, purchase it from the previous owner, Neil Thompson. He wanted to move on and just go back to being a coach. So that was very fun for me to have a full circle opportunity to be able to help provide, you know, my goal with that was to, I like to coach. So I got to coach whenever I wanted, but it was to provide coach with, with opportunities that I had had, um, you know, to give them a space to learn and grow and develop their coaching careers. Cause it's not easy to build a career out of being a part-time coach. You know, I think the, the quality of life is super high because any job where you get to choose when you eat lunch, when you eat breakfast, when you go to bed is uh, quality of life is tuned up. But um, because of that, it's like financially starting off as a part-time coach can be a pretty damn slow grind as I'm sure you know. And I, you know, in, in pushing toward the affiliate, I know I'm jumping around here, but in starting an affiliate, one of the goals was to trust, try and help provide athletes that, athletes and coaches that opportunity. Hey, if you want to get into this and make it a career, I'd like you to have some of the opportunities that I had because I'm very grateful and thankful for those. And again, that was something that really grew out of my friendship with Austin Maliolo and us eventually deciding. I was very reluctant to um, go into business with my friends because I liked that they were just my friends, but uh, I'm really happy I did now. But um, that grew out of our friendship and you know, he's a, he's a partner and a friend I really appreciate now. And we have the one nation gym. We have the ham plan. I've also been working with Austin Niall and Denise Thomas with the CDP coach development program, um, which is a really amazing program that Austin and Denise Thomas really created. 
and it allowed coaches to come travel to our gyms. And like you did at Reebok, you know, have an internship for a couple of days, three to five days and learn all the ins and outs, not just how do you coach a class, but um, you know, what do you do to run a successful affiliate? And that's been a really fun way for us to share, you know, just the knowledge and the experiences and, and fortune, fortune that we've had um, learning from others who came before us. So those are the three main things um, that we do. But uh, I don't know if there's anything that you want me to dive into specifically, but that kind of about sums those up. No, yeah, that's that's perfect. I just kind of give, wanted to give everybody an idea of the the sequencing of things, the timeline, and one thing I really wanted to highlight there, and I think you obviously know this well as being a business owner, but you talked about the hand plan and how it took about 10 years to really get the ball rolling there, and I think people that are sitting on the outside looking in may have just looked at that as, well, holy cow, you know, Austin and James and Spencer started this thing called the hand plan and now look at it. It's everywhere. It's on Instagram, it's Facebook. And it seems that, you know, one of those quote unquote overnight successes, but there was a decade's worth of work put into that before you see the product that's out there now. Yeah. You know, and it's funny, my, my wife and I, we talk about this a lot and um, you know, the, the, perception of success. And, you know, in my mind, like I'm happy with what I do. I like what I do, but I don't know if I would be like, I'm at the success or I've had the success that I want. You know, it's the, the neat thing about owning your own business and working for yourself um, is that you get to do it whenever you want. You make your own schedule, but also the hard thing about working for yourself is I, you know, I never feel like the work ends. Um, and I also think, you know, from the outside looking in, sometimes that's hard to see. And we have such, you know, I think anyone who's out there who's running their own small business probably has such high expectations and aspirations for what they want to do with it. The, um, the process of growth is like never over. Yeah. And that's a, like I said, that's a good thing. It's a blessing and that's a curse, but yeah, definitely. It's like, it's, it's been 10 years or more for me to get to this point in my life. And I, and at this point I, I almost kind of feel like, Hey, I love what I'm doing now and we're going to keep growing it. But I was like, where, what do I do next? You know, what is the next iteration of this? How do I evolve it? You know, what is the next peak to climb? Um, I think about that constantly, you know, it's, I'm, I'm 33. So, you know, looking at average lifespans, I'm, I'm just shy of, you know, halfway through the game. Um, and so in, in thinking that I'm like, wow, well, if I'm only halfway through, I either got to do what I've done all over again or do something new. So yeah, the growth, the growth never stops and it is wonderful to see where it's at now, but yeah, you got to keep in mind that there's, there's a, there's a grind involved and there's a time commitment involved and there's a learning curve and it just, you know, it's so rarely, you know, rarely is it anyone out there is just happening overnight, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, well, I think that's what it takes as well to, to own your own business, to, achieve excellence in anything is that almost unquenchable thirst for for better i don't want to call it success but to continue evolving to to continue to get better and i feel like everyone in that space who owns their own small business or is pursuing any kind of of career that requires the uh we'll call it mastery of a craft, you have to have that drive or it's just not going, you're not going to get there. Yeah. Well, that's like that. There's that, um, Bill Gates has that quote. I forget what it is off the top of my head, but it's something like, 
you know, success is dangerous because it tricks smart people into thinking that they're always right or something like that. But basically it's this idea that like, you know, you can't get stuck into the, the, the circular thinking of that, like your experience and what you know is the end all is always going to be right. You know, it's like, if you get it right, that doesn't mean you're always going to be right. And that doesn't mean what you've done is perfect. Now that doesn't mean what you, your experience is bad. You know, you should have, you know, understanding of what you are good at, what you're not good at, be confident in what you've done so far, but man, there's always something to learn. You know, there's, there's value, always value in learning from an experience that's not your own. And that's been really helpful along this journey. You know, that idea of like, okay, I've liked what I've done. I'm doing well at this. But whenever someone says to me, they're like, Hey, I just, I really like what you're doing. Or they're like, really great job. It scares the shit out of me because there are some times when I'm like, oh, okay, well I'm doing that well, but man, I feel like I want to do it better. And if everyone else thinks I'm doing it well, how do I figure out how to do it better? You know, like that's a really scary thing to me when I hear that from someone, you know, the good, good job is like a terrifying compliment. Um, it's like, okay, well, if they're satisfied with it, how do I make it better? Oh my God, is this as good as I get? You know, that's what I feel like sometimes. Is this as good as I can make it? Um, and that's really, that's really, you know, worries me sometimes, but at the same time, I guess that's, I guess that's good and motivating, but yeah, you, you know, and like we both talked about, it's just, and also just being around people who know more than you know differently than you and being willing to soak up their information and experiences. I wouldn't be anywhere without those opportunities that I've had, you know, as I said earlier, someone like Eva Claire Sinkowski, I saw she was on your podcast recently, I think. Yeah. Yeah. We actually um, just had her last week. Awesome. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just like the amount of information I soaked up from somebody like that and even her development, you know, she's been hacking away at the fitness and nutrition game for over a decade and she is a treasure trove of knowledge, but it didn't happen like overnight. You know, it's something she's worked at constantly and passed on a lot of information to a lot of other people. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about what you just said and connecting that with EC is, I think she found that next iteration that you were talking about, right? Like there was her her stint, long-term stint with CrossFit HQ and being the, uh, I think it was the program manager was her title. Uh, but now she's moved on and is really attacking the nutrition side of things. And it really is like a, an entirely new venture for her. And it's cool to see that progression. Yeah, she's a really good example of that. Um, oh, here, I found it. This is the Bill Gates quote, right? And this ties into it. Success is a lousy teacher. It seduces smart people into thinking they can't lose, right? And that's a, that's a scary place to be in. I'm always skeptical. I'm always like on the lookout for that. But yeah, like Eva Claire and her experiences, you know, and in, in having known her when she was for, you know, for when I was first learning from her and seeing the transformation now and the information and, you know, she's done a Ted talk and she has this awesome 800 gram challenge. And there's so many of those people that I've bumped into, um, and I think not only learning from them, you know, specific information, things about nutrition and training, but also like stepping back and learning from like their journey and their evolution and growth in a big sense, like how they keep doing it too. I think it's motivating and also gives you kind of a path to figure that out. Like, okay, well their growth, you know, my mentor's growth isn't over. Um, so man, my growth can't be over. And yeah. That's a really important lesson to learn is, is I think someone who wants to make a career out of anything, you know, it's yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. Now, 
uh, to keep us on track here because I feel like you and I could go all Sorry, day yeah. talking. No, it's great. Um, you know, so you're involved in all these things now, and they seem to be going really well for you guys. And then obviously now all of us are in this COVID-19 situation. You know, how ever since this has happened or started to occur, especially in the United States, how are you coping with the changes that we have now being under these stay-at-home orders and shelter-in-place orders? And how have you also been able to pivot the businesses to ensure that you continue to provide for your clients? You know, we don't have to go super, super yeah. deep, but just some bigger picture macro stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'll lay it, lay it in from my experience because I don't, I don't think we've cracked the code on it. And, and honestly, with, with what's going on with the health crisis and the coronavirus, I don't think anyone has cracked the code on it. But, you know, to kind of sum it up, I was talking to Austin the other day and both from an affiliate standpoint, from an online programming standpoint, you know, Austin and I just kind of came to terms with this idea of like, well, I don't know, know exactly what we're going to do, but we're just going to keep doing stuff until we can't. And I think those businesses and those people, teacher, you know, whoever in this environment, if you're, if you're still moving forward, regardless of how small, um, you're going to come out on a better end of it. And what I mean by that is, you know, I don't think there's any predictability of, of, you know, financial success and longevity currently in this climate, which is really frustrating and saddening. And I truly believe that, you know, where I once thought like, you know, I think, I think people might be overreacting to this, you know, where I once thought that I think at a point now it's like, we're going to see it, you know, there, there won't be a return to normal, you know, come July, August, September, there'll be a new normal. I think the world would be a slightly different place after something like this, if not a significantly different place. But I do believe that um, if you can look at fundamentally, what was the service you were offering to people. How can I still offer that? You know, the problems people have now, what does my service still solve for them? And that's how we viewed what we're doing at One Nation. That's how we viewed what we're doing at Hamplan to try and adapt it to and still share it with people because regardless of the, you know, if there's a coronavirus or whatever is going on, that's what we still want to do. And at One Nation, we said, all right, well, we are a fitness business. We offer fitness to people. How the hell can we still offer fitness to people when they can't come into the gym? And a lot of affiliates are doing this and they're doing it beautifully. And it's, man, is it a learning process and it's new and it's uncomfortable, but it's also 2020. Like everyone's used to having video chat, you know? So mm -hmm. it's like creating a relationship with somebody over video is not as hard as it was 10 years ago. So we're doing online classes and we're offering more online programming and, you know, we're finding new ways to connect and create community. I mean, you know, I've seen everybody do everything from online, you know, zoom bingo meetings. I've seen uh, beer socials. I've seen trivia nights to try and create some community and adaptability to, um, you know, the lack of athletes being able to come into your gym. Zoom classes have been far better received than I ever expected when we decided to do it. I was like, yep, we're doing it because it's what we can do. It's the tools we have. But in the back of my head, I was like, this is so stupid. It's never going to work. And lo and behold, you know, we regularly have noon classes with 40 plus people in them. And what I've seen happen over the last couple of weeks is when we first started, one third of the participants would have their cameras on. Everybody else would have them off. Two weeks later, half the people 
you know, now 90% of the athletes who take class have their cameras on. So it's like, it's headed in the right direction. Um, do I know what this looks like in terms of providing financial opportunity for coaches and financial feasibility for gyms? I have no idea. Does that look like a form of, you know, gear rental service plus online virtual class membership? Uh, probably, you know, when I, when I think about in Boston, they've talked about schools opening back up in May. I don't think that'll be the case. You know, I hear some grade schools, middle schools already talking about, we're just going to close down for the rest of the year and we're going to transition to an online teaching format. You know, when I hear stuff like that in my head, I'm like, well, imagine if we do come out of quarantine, I still think like cities and local governments would be like, well, you know, businesses that have events or host group gatherings can't gather more than 10 people. So it's like, are we putting a plan in place to say, we're going to run 45 minute classes we're going to cap classes to 10 people. We're going to run more classes throughout the day at our affiliate. Yeah, we're definitely planning on stuff like that. But um, long story short, as far as the affiliates concerned, concerned, you know, we, we viewed this as, all right, this situation sucks. It sucks for everybody. What are the tools we have? How can we keep moving forward? Because I do believe the affiliates who are doing that um, will come out of this at a bender end of it regardless of, of what their business looks like. And, you know, that's what I think hope is. I don't think hope is, is that, oh, things will go back to normal in time. You know, I think hope is that given the tools we have, I still believe some good can come of this. And I, I think if you can have that mindset you, you're, you're and, and hold on to that mindset and act that mindset daily, you're putting yourself in a better position as far as a small business owner. Um, but uh, it's definitely not easy. You know, and, and I would say it's, I'm having, you know, there are, there are businesses out there that are having a harder time of it than ours, but I'm also seeing some businesses out there do some cool, cool, cool stuff and transform it in ways that they wouldn't have been pushed to transform had this not happened. I'm not saying that this should have happened or it's good that it happened, but there are people making good of it and pushing, you know, pushing in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's one of those things where you don't want to see this happen to, to anybody and it's, it's not convenient. However, you will see innovation out of it. You will s probably, like you had mentioned, see a new normal and you, you don't know what that could lead to down the line. And so now I didn't want to get too far into that, that rabbit hole there because I know people are, are really exploring that and, and going that route of things, especially in the terms of podcasts and, and content they're putting out there. But uh, I love what you guys are doing, just trying to take what you have and help people continue to solve their problems. And, and that's awesome. And so now yeah, what I want to, I think that's a good mindset to have, you know, I think that's, that's the mindset you have to have is like, you know, the skill, the, the product I was offering before, can I still give it to people? And if yes, how do I do it? And I think yeah. that's an important, I think, I hope more people take that away from this, you know? Absolutely. Cause that's the only way we're going to continue to help people. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And that's fundamentally, I think what a lot of us want to do is this, you know, with the skills we have, we want to continue to help. Awesome. And now where I really wanted to steer this conversation is here towards uh, the end of this. And that is looking at this situation and looking at it almost from a client or an athlete perspective, but also a little bit on the, the coaches and trainers side of things and looking at the opportunities and outcomes that can come out of the situation and really staying on the more positive and optimistic side of that discussion. And so what I want to ask you first is, 
you know, what do you believe are some of the the greatest opportunities that can come out of this situation as they relate to um, to health and fitness? And we can talk about you know opportunities for the athletes and also maybe for the affiliates or coaches. Is this an opportunity to build better relationships with your clients by connecting with them virtually? Is it a time to develop or refine your nutrition program? Things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Let me try and sort this out, but this is really good. I think there are lots of opportunities here. And the, and the first one I'll just say is um, I think when people can work together and find solutions in the environment of hardship, it creates a really special, stronger, longer lasting bond. And I think anyone who's in a, a serious relationship or has a really strong friendship can look back and say, hey, you know, we've had a lot of fun together, but I remember this one time we just got served a big pile of crap. And you know what? It was hard and it was uncomfortable, but we worked through it and we came out of the other side stronger. You know, that's like you hear people talk about all the time and I see that happening. You know, um, I see people making those kind of connections. And I know, I know even at our affiliate level, um, just the, the process of everyone being transparent and saying from a management ownership side, Hey, here's what we're trying to do. Here's why we're trying to do it. And our members responding really well to that and saying, all right, great. Well, here's what we want to try to do to help because we feel like you're helping us and we care and we want to help you too, or we want to help our favorite coach. So I see those bonds becoming much, much stronger. You know, if you want to talk about it from like a stuffy nosed business standpoint, it's like the, um, you know, um, the business or brand strength I think is going to grow from things like that. But if you want to talk about it just from the human humanitarian piece of it, it's like, people are just getting along better and having greater trust in each other because they both realize that they're working toward the same goal, just with different tools and from different angles. And I think that's probably one of the biggest um, opportunities and outcomes is to have um, stronger relationships because like I said, when people can find solutions um, in that environment of hardship, something special happens. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think I that goes back agree. to why, I like, why we both like CrossFit, right? I mean, you, you feel a little more connected to somebody when you've both gone through a shitty workout and you can look at each other at the end of it and be like, oh yeah, I know how you feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, there there's definitely something to be said about, I don't want to call it commiserating, but experiencing hardship together, yeah. like you said, and coming out on the other side better for it. Yeah, no, I, I, think, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, to look at some more specific things, um, I think it's allowed us to kind of tune into and and really see some of our employees shine in a special way and be super appreciative of them. And it's allowed us to look at like, what other services can we offer? What other tools do you guys have? So for example, one of our affiliate um, or one of our facility heads who leads the Needham gym, Sam Hornstein, pretty handy dude, got all the tools in the world. You know, he's like the, it's like, it's like Sam, the tool man, Taylor. He, uh, he reached out to everyone and says, Hey, look guys, I got all this extra time in my hands. I got all these tools. I got all this space. I'm going to build boxes for people. And he, you know, offered them at a reasonable price. And I think he's had like, he's built a hundred different plyo boxes. And these things are like rogue fitness quality. I mean, they're beautiful. And awesome. uh, yeah, I think he sold like a hundred of them. Wow. And then, you know, for example, we've had, you know, other people on our staff who have some nutrition expertise and they've really stepped up and 
you know, pushed into and outlined our nutrition program in a way that we really just haven't paid a ton of attention to because other things were going well and we were using those skills elsewhere. And it's allowed us to take a peek at that. So in some, in some ways, I think it allows people to shine and, and show off their, their, you know, some other skills that they might have. And I've certainly seen a lot, a lot of that, you know, as far as like the production quality of content we put out in PDF form. And I can say this for one nation and ham plan. I think, um, it's been really effective for us on Hamplan. Our team has just really come together and just pushing things to market. We've done it with great rapidity. And um, I think we've done some awesome quality content. And part of that is because one, we all have the time now. <laughs> and, uh, and two is just, in the, there's, you know, competency in the face of necessity. There's a, there's a need for it. But, um, and if I was to like give you one cool example of evidence of it all, you know, with the video chat thing, I, I was thinking about this yesterday and there are people who I haven't heard talk much in class or who are pretty, um, not withholding is not the right word, but are, you know, they kind of, they're not very, they kind of keep to themselves in, in a class environment. They're just quiet. Maybe they're not a shy is not the right word, but maybe they're just quiet, you know, a little bit more under the radar. And because I think everyone right now is pretty damn starved for social interaction, um, I've, I've had conversations with people more now on video chat than I've ever had with that individual in a gym. Yeah. And um, that's really freaking cool. It's cool to see people reaching out, you know, because there's a necessity for it. It's unfortunate, very unfortunate because of the reason for the reaching out you know, the environment of it, but it's, I have seen a lot more of that. And I think that, that has kept me really hopeful. Um, you know, it's a lot more just like interpersonal relationship growth, even if it is over a digital medium, but, um, it's happening, you know, it's still happening. The, the zoom classes the, is not, it's not alienating people yet. Granted, it's only been like just under a month of it, but I've seen the exact opposite happen. People really to seem to be finding ways to make it their own and communicate more efficiently and more openly on it. And I think that's super cool. And that's hopeful for me as, as a coach and thinking about where do we transition this to next? Yeah. I think everything you just said is awesome. And I think it's a, a good perspective to have on the entire situation. And, you know, like you said, we're doing what we can do to, to keep moving forward. And, you know, now I kind of want to shift a little bit and, talk about something at least we've been talking with our folks about and, and kind of preaching this message and more or less asking the question, I should say, and that's, do you think that this entire situation of moving to remote and virtual classes and no longer having the equipment necessary to move substantial loads and to train them substantial volumes, do you think it's actually beneficial for some folks that they're going to, you know, quote unquote, break the cycle of probably doing too much too often or prioritizing, you know, the volume over the intensity. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I think that's a small population anyway, of people who are doing too much. Um, but yeah, this, this will definitely probably force them in, in some ways to do a little bit less, but I think those people who, you know, those volume junkies who just, just got to sweat, love to get it in constantly, they might just find new ways to do it, you know, whether it's an at-home workout and then go for a run or something like that. But, you know, in terms of programming, one of the things I see is like, I think that's really cool about this is I think it, it'll, it'll continue to show people how accessible, you know, decent physical self-care is 
and how easy it is and how low equipment it is to people in their everyday lives. You know, it's like you work out in your living room long enough, you're going to stop and take a look around and say like, oh shit, you know, like it is pretty easy to stay fit, you know, 20 hours a day, 30 minutes a day. It's like, I don't need this, you know, 200 pound barbell in order to make it happen. And I see that happening, which I think is a really positive outcome of this. And I think it's, it's empowering to people. They'll now gain more knowledge on how to take care of themselves effectively um, and see that it can be done with relatively little equipment or, you know, a small tool set, dumbbell, jump rope, I don't know, backpack filled up with 30 pounds of crappy books you never wanted to read. So I think that's a huge benefit of it. And I also, you know, not so much the volume people, people who are too obsessed with the volume, but the cherry pickers, you know, I was, I was joking my class the other day. I said, you know, when I said, when we go back to the gym, I said, you guys, I was like, I said, you guys are going to be so fit. Your abs are going to be so strong and you're going to be so limber because what we've been focusing on in our virtual classes, because part of it is just the medium makes it's the easiest thing for us to coach and make valuable but it's like, it's generally lighter weight. It's generally dumbbell work, which de- requires a greater demand of flexibility in a lot of places. And we do some sort of like buns, abs, and guns after bash every class. And we do stretching every single class. And this is something we don't always squeeze into the gym because you got all this other sexy stuff to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, it just makes me laugh because I was like, these guys and, and these guys are going to come back. And these workouts are hard, man. Like heavy workouts are easy because they're slow and you don't get a lot of rounds. Mm-hmm. Some of these workouts, these at-home workouts with a single dumbbell are so punishing because it's like it's a 10-minute AMRAP and you're getting 20 rounds. Yeah. <laughs> you're just like, this is terrible. Um, and, you know, I see people... And it just makes it more accessible to them. And they're, they're tapping into things that they don't normally do, which always makes us fitter, right? When you, you know, the best program you're on, the best, the program you need is the one that you're not currently doing. That's what Adrian Bosman always told me, you know, which is not very helpful, but it's true, right? It's like, you get really good at what you do. You don't get good at what you don't do. And all these at-home workouts, I think are going to carve out areas of people's fitness they didn't even know they had. And um, like I said, it, it, that does it in such a way that also makes it really accessible. You know, I see day one, people were in the zoom chat with their cameras off day five. They're in the zoom chat. They got their whole family doing the workout with them. Cameras on, they're asking questions. They all got dumbbells. Like that's some, that's some glaring positivity right there. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It sucks, but the solutions people are finding are pretty, for lack of a better phrase, pretty fucking rad. And that, (laughs) that keeps me excited and hopeful. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, I think it is awesome to see everybody utilizing what they have and making it work and and coaches and trainers making it accessible to anyone regardless of if you have a set of dumbbells at your house or if you're using, you know, the the gallon milk jugs that you've got uh loaded up mm-hmm. with water, but you know, that's a that's what we try to do for all of our folks and because we do release workouts that have dumbbells in them and and minimal base yeah. equipment. However, we know that a lot of folks don't have that. All they're working with is what they've got in the house. And so every day we do release a workout that can be done with just a backpack or just an odd object that they have laying around. I think, mm-hmm. like you said, that is eye-opening to a lot of folks that, hey, I can I can really maintain or even develop my fitness and improve my health with not a lot of equipment at the house. Yeah. And I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. And I think that's so important because, um, like I said, I believe in it. I believe in the benefit of physical fitness. 
And it would, and sometimes I think it gets stigmatized, you know, like, oh, you're one of those people who works out or, you know, or vice versa. Oh, you don't work out. Like how awful, you know, it's like, it'd be cool if it was, it became so ubiquitous, you know, to the point of like brushing your teeth. Like I wake up, I brush my teeth. Um, and I brush my teeth before I go to bed. It's just, it's not like, I'm not like, oh, you're one of those, you're one of those people who brushes your teeth in the morning and at night. <laughs> it just happens. It's just part of what we do. Like it's ingrained into our DNA and our daily routines. And it, it, I think one of the things I see coming of this, like you said, it's like people who don't have gear. It's like, oh, all right, I'll brush my teeth. I'm going to go downstairs and you know what? I'm going to do three rounds, 15 air squats, 20 ground overhead with the backpack. Like it just becomes so habitual and involuntary, not even habitual, becomes involuntary and just becomes a part of just who we are and what we do. You know, it's just, it's part of the, the human machine. We just get up, I brush my teeth, I do my ground overheads with my North Face backpack. And then, um, yeah, it's time to start my day. I, I, I see some of that coming out of this and I think that's super cool. Yeah. And I think that's a good uh, thing to segue into this next question. And that is, do you think everything that's happening now, all these innovations that are coming out of this situation, all of the virtual training that's occurring, people buying their own equipment for the house. Do you think all these things are going to lead to a new looking fitness industry or have significant impacts in the fitness industry for the long term after this storm has passed? Yeah, I was, I was looking over my notes and, um, you know, I think it's, it's a pretty keen observation from you to what I think you're hinting at. But um, I do think it'll have some changes to the fitness industry and it'll, it'll cause the fitness industry to change. I think um, it'll force a portion of the fitness industry, especially when it comes to functional fitness and, and you know, full body movements like we see in CrossFit as opposed to something that's just like on a single device like a Peloton. And I'm not discrediting either. I'm just using an example like um, it'll, I think it'll force the, the realm of functional fitness provide more valuable and engaging remote options. I think that's going to happen. Um, you know, I know some people are worried that like, well, now that everyone has all this equipment at their house, are they ever going to come back to the gym? I think the answer is, yeah, they'll come back to the gym for the same reason they sign on to the zoom classes, right? It's like, I mean, the zoom classes and the, the computer is another barrier between coach and athlete. Um, and these people have the gear at their houses. So they could just work out on their own, but they're not, they're signing up for the zoom classes. And that's because of the community, the camaraderie, the interaction with the coach. So yeah, I think functional fitness, things like CrossFit, I think there you will see, you know, you're going to develop a, a virtual option. I don't think that's going to eradicate um, the in-person option. I just think it changes our businesses and increases what we have to offer and what we have to offer well. But you know, the same way it's like, I can cook myself dinner pretty well. And, but Cassandra and I still go out to dinner, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's kind of the analogy that I, that I think of. Um, but yeah, I, the virtual offering is going to have to get polished. And I think, um, you know, gyms will have to look into that more and figure out how do they make themselves more available to people who do want to be remote, but still want to be involved with the gym. Yeah. You know, what does CrossFit Peloton look like? I don't freaking know, but there's some really smart people out there right now making it happen. I'm telling you. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, and I think, I think what you just said is the, is exactly what Ashley and I were just discussing the other night. And that is, and this was all spurred by a conversation. She had a zoom meeting with several of her supervisors and, and employees, and they were talking about the fitness industry and how this could, the situation could impact their business model and, and you know, the future of fitness. And someone chimed in on the call and, 
it was clearly someone who hasn't done CrossFit at an affiliate with mm-hmm. other people. Uh, but they called out CrossFit specifically and said, I think this is the end of CrossFit. And I kind of chuckled in the background as, you know, I'm not in this meeting, I'm just listening. And uh, I thought, if there was anything more false, like (laughs) there couldn't be anything more false because if anything, CrossFit and those communities are probably going to come out on the other side of this stronger because they were lacking that interaction with one another. Like if I think if any, if any side of this industry is safe and is going to see a rebound and continue to grow, I think it will be, those communities of these really fit people motivating one another every single day in the CrossFit affiliate. Yeah, Derek, I'm, I'm, I'm on, I'm, I'm on board with you that I think you're a hundred percent. I it's not the death of CrossFit. It's, it's not the death of the fitness industry, but you know what, maybe it's time it evolved, you know? And I, I think like we said earlier, yeah, I think, I think you're hundred percent right. It's, you know, it, it's going to change a little bit. We got to get out of this, our heads, this idea that things are going to go back to exactly like they were. But just because they're not going to go back to exactly like they were doesn't mean they can't be better. doesn't mean they can't be different or improved. And, um, and I think the gyms out there who are taking that mindset and saying, all right, well, this is going to change. So what can I do to keep sharing CrossFit with the world? Um, I, think it'll, I think it'll keep growing, man, and things will keep happening. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that 100%. For sure. I think... I think it's just like we've been talking this whole time. It's a it's an awesome opportunity. Yes, it's negative circumstances that are surrounding the opportunity, but there are opportunities here and we can have favorable outcomes on the other side of this thing and it's just a matter of continuing to to innovate, continuing to care for the people you're working with and provide them with as much as possible and bring them as much value as possible and I think that's a you know, that's really the moral of the story here is continue to care for your people and meet or exceed their expectations throughout this entire process. Yeah, man, I, I love that. I think, I think that's like, that's, that's, that's advice. Some people need to wake up and tell themselves every day because the current climate makes it really hard to keep that attitude. But I think if you can keep that attitude, it's like, that's one of the best things you can do. Absolutely. Well, James, I think that wraps it up in terms of what I was trying to hit on. Um, you know, again, thank you for being on the show. It means so much. And uh, it was great to catch up with you and, and kind of get your insight on everything that's going on right now in the world of fitness and where we can go from it. Heck yeah, man. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. And um, yeah, we're going to be we're going to be doing the Zoom classes at Cross One Nation and uh, on Ham Plan. We're just going to keep pushing out our ham at home programming. And I really appreciate you, Derek, uh, giving me a chance to chit chat with you. And it was nice to catch up and Congrats on your recent move and, and, um, you know, love, love hearing your experience and just, and seeing everything you've done. So really, man, from the bottom of my heart, appreciate it. Hey, no. And like I said, I kind of mentioned this to you before we recorded and, and in the email I sent you, but, uh, I have to thank you as well. You know, you've had a lot of influence in, in my career and, uh, you were able to mentor me in ways that you probably don't even know. And, you know, through my level two and through my internship for seminar staff. So I will always be grateful and appreciative of that. And, you know, hopefully we'll be able to stay in touch and uh, continue to go through this experience together. But James, for those listeners out there who want to know more about you, learn more about uh, One Nation or Hand Plan or Coaches Development, you know, where, where can they find you? How can they get in touch with you on social media, et cetera? Um, if they want to check us out on Ham Plan, thehamplan.com is a great place to start and see what we offer there for all of our online programming from, you know, at home, no equipment to class plans for affiliates, but, uh, I'm getting better at it, but I'm kind of a, a dullard when it, uh, 
comes to uh, uh, Instagram DMs and communicating there, but I'm starting to roll with that. So James Hobart is my Instagram handle. And usually if you shoot me a note, I'm always happy to chit chat. So those two places probably be a great place to start. It's got all my other uh, information and, and hobbies and, and passion projects on there. So thehandplan.com or my Instagram, James Hobart. Wonderful, James. Again, thank you so much. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Heck yeah, Derek. Have a good day. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you're an avid listener, you're here every week tuning in, checking out the value that we're trying to bring you guys. Ashley and I appreciate you so, so, so much. And as a small token of your appreciation, we would love for you guys to go to iTunes, leave us a review, leave a comment there, or hell, even reach out to us via email, Instagram, Facebook, etc. We would love to hear from you guys and know that you're enjoying the content that we're putting out. And also to get some ideas about future episodes, because we want to bring you guys what it is that you want to hear so again reach out to us on those platforms leave a review on itunes and if you haven't done so already get your ass over to tiktok we're putting videos out every single day two to three times a day and it's something different it's something interactive and it's fun so go check that out for us ballistic performance on tiktok we'll see you guys next time